Welcome back to the third year of the Netflix podcast, Present Company. I'm your host, Krista Smith. This season, we have something really special for you. I'll be exploring a universal human emotion with our guests. Fear, a word that has gathered new meaning for many of us over the past year. Thank you for joining me. Today, I'm excited to bring you a brand new segment of our show. Present Company on the Road. In these episodes, I'll be taking you to some of the biggest film events in the country. Today, I'm at the 48th Annual Telluride Film Festival, located at 9,000 feet in the mountains of Colorado. I'm about to sit down with Kirsten Dunst, who stars in Jane Campion's much-anticipated film, The Power of the Dog. Thanks for listening. Kirsten Dunst, welcome to Telluride. Thanks, Krista. <laughs> happy to be here. I'm so happy to see you. You've been on a whirlwind uh, journey yeah. in life and in your career. Two children, Venice, now Telluride. Yep. Amazing film. Um, so let's just talk about it. Okay. Power of the Dog. I remember, I feel like pre-COVID, it's so hard with time now changing, what we feel like we're losing days and years and whatnot. But I remember you telling me, about working on this, you're going to work on this film. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of take me back to that moment, the script? Because I know there was a lot of moving pieces. Uh, yes, and and cast moving. Cast yeah. moving, yeah. right. Yeah, I remember, well, well, first Jesse was offered the movie and um, Elizabeth Moss was in the film. Then she couldn't do it because of her show. And then I was replaced and Paul Dano was supposed to do it. And then Paul Dano went to do Batman and then they went back to Jesse. So it was like a weird moving piece. So to finally, you know, to be able to work with Jesse again and on a Jane Campion movie. I mean, I would have played Phil, you know what I mean? I, (laughs) I, I I really didn't need to read a script, you know, it, I would do anything, you know, for Jane. Right. And we should probably say that the Jesse mentioned is your fiance, Jesse Plemons. Yes, correct. Actually plays your husband in the movie. Yes. uh, Which had to have been just surreal. Because we worked together before and he's my best friend. It just, at the end of the day, to have somebody who has your back so hard and who we just, we can talk about anything together. So, you know, we could have lunch together on set and just you know, be supportive. And it's just, you know, we could like sleep next to each other and nap (laughs) on set in our trailer. And they only had to pay for one house for us because we're already together with our child. Um, So we were a good two for one deal too, Mm -hmm. I think for Mm -hmm. production. I forget that's right. You met on Fargo. Yes. And we became friends on that and just creative like soulmates and then got together a year after. Right. Oh my God. And now you have two children and the rest is history. Yes. So Rose, I want to talk about Rose because what was so compelling in this film is the, I don't want to say toxic masculinity, but it's the West, it's the turn of the century, it's in Montana, it's ranchers, it's male, it's dirty, it's dusty. It's very much a um, a world dominated by men. Mm-hmm. And Rose is at the center of this film for me because she's the female character trying to survive basically in this masculine, unwelcoming world Mm -hmm. and uncivilized in a way, right? Trying to bring some civility to it. Widowed. Widowed runs an inn. Runs an inn. Having a son that's that's definitely, you know, he's definitely leans towards a peculiar type of like obsession with 
death and and science and and he's 16 years old he doesn't want to talk to his mother but there's already kind of like a separation there where she's trying to understand her son and I think she feels guilty her husband killed himself and the son saw it and had to cut him down and like there's so much history there that you you get in snippets throughout the film but I think she just as a mother has she's so worried about him in this western like you said toxic masculinity this kid would thrive in a city like he's not you know in a place that that is accepting of him. Um, mm-hmm. So I think she's, you know, just doing everything to survive and be a supportive mother. And I think her and George, who Jesse plays, meet each other at a time when they're both like pretty desperately lonely, I think. Mm-hmm. And they, I think that's what they recognize in each other's souls immediately. Um, but yeah, moving to the ranch, then his his brother, Phil, played by Benedict, starts to psychologically torture me, gaslight me, wants me out of there. And I just crumble mm-hmm. and turn to the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> Rose is always wasted. Poor, poor, poor Rose. But you understand. It's like oh, you're, yeah. it's a numbing. So, yeah. so for you, Kirsten, this was, this was like interesting to me. How do you approach something like that? And you've been doing this for I mean, since you were three, I think you had your first commercial, right? And yes. Who can forget, you know, interview with a vampire when you're with Tom Cruise and and uh, Brad Pitt back when you were 11. So you've been at the highest level for a really long time. When you see this script and you know it's going to be environmental elements that you're going to be dealing with and it's Jane Campion, like how do you get into that character and how does she help you do that? Or does she? Like, what's she like working with? Well, my approach as an actress is I do all my work myself with my acting. I hate to call her a coach because she's not really, but like me and Greta, we work together. That's my acting teacher. And we just kind of make a witch's brew of like who Rose is. So that no matter what circumstance I'm in or what take number I'm at or whatever it is, I have everything I need to be as full as I can and as present as I can and have so many ideas that excite me as an actress myself. Before I even like talk to a director or anything, I have like an artillery, a Bible of like notes and notes and notes. I've done dream work. I've done so many things and I have so many references in my own brain that like I'll, I'll never feel stale or stuck or like I don't have an idea. And that gives you a confidence where you just feel like nobody knows this role better than me. And I think that's like, you know, what has prepared me. I've, I started to do that when I was around 27. So that's kind of given me like a, a new, I don't know. It's like a cathartic experience. It's more about me than performing mm-hmm. for other people, which I think when you start acting so young, it can kind of get stuck in that for a second. Mm-hmm. So I had kind of had to take a step back. And I remember taking one script to a few different acting teachers that were all very high level. And then I found Greta through that and we, I've worked with her ever since. So, but so then I get to Queenstown, New Zealand and Jane has a two week rehearsal process, which was a lot of improvising and her seeing the dynamics and how they all play out together. So a lot of like improvising at dinner and being, you know, like laying in bed next to George, but not touching and, um, cleaning the inn or like cooking, things like that. So we did that for two weeks, which was a lot of time to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm like a little racehorse. I'm like, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's start this. What was the scene order that you ended up shooting in? We did the exteriors first. Everything outside, which was me like screaming for my son, everything was first. Mm-hmm. So, you know, every movie's done out of out of order, but it was, it's harder to get into things when you're not 
in every scene. So you constantly feel like you're meeting a new crew person or it's sometimes harder mm-hmm. to like have your space on the set because you've only done two scenes over the course of two weeks. Tell me about your experience working with Benedict. Me and Benedict don't even really have scenes together. So I had to create this monster, this demon, whatever frightens me and like breaks me down myself. Like it was me and myself creating this. Mm -hmm. So it's a very lonely character in that way where you're just freaking yourself out. Luckily, I love creepy movies and I love like, don't look now. I love movies where your persona, like where you just see people deteriorating by themselves Mm -hmm. or or mirrors of themselves. So I'm really into cinema like that. So I had a lot of references, I think, that kept things alive for me when I was working alone. So that was a big help. But one of the things that's so affecting in this film is there is this psychological thriller aspect to it where this energy is always shifting. And you, when we're following Rose, we feel... Benedict playing Phil, we feel that menacing energy, even though we're not really seeing him or you see him, you know, the the scenes are like you're passing each other, but you feel it, Mm -hmm. which I think is just such a success of the film because it just keeps the audience on their toes. Mm -hmm. You're so engaged in it. And when George comes in, whenever they have their interactions and you have your interactions, and then obviously with Cody Smith-McPhee, who plays your son, Peter, who's fantastic, Mm -hmm. he's great, that relationship with him you and him was so special. I loved that, um, the chemistry that you had. And there's a lot of intimate scenes you have with him when you're starting to, you know, decline basically. Yes. And he sees that. I yeah, love I, that. I, yeah, we both had things we could draw upon where you see someone that, you know, is supposed to be your protector just falling apart or like drunk or something. I mean, we both talked a lot about that together. And Cody's someone who's like, when he was alone, he'd always come over to Jesse's in my house. Like I loved Cody. I mean, he's just such a sweet guy. Um, I hate to call him a kid because he's not really a kid, Um, but he's just, he's so good. He played it so well, his role and, you know, the nuance of his role. And, but I was going to say something too. Oh yeah, Benedict and I never talked to each other on set. That was something that I think helped maybe create some more like tension between us. When we got together on the weekends or our kids played, then obviously, you know, we would be nice to each other. But he, he's very like nice in English and apologizes a lot. He's the kind of guy who's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. So it was good for him, I think, and also for me just not to talk to each other if we did see each other on set. Right. Jane was saying that she had been, wanted him to kind of remain in character and how she had had these, um, she had both Phil and George dance, like do this waltz as kind of a rehearsal, like as the characters, right? Like Jesse and and Benedict to kind of like the alpha male because he's so alpha, right? And the Jesse plays, you know, George is so even Mm -hmm. and so grounded, so grounded, Mm -hmm. so not bothered and I thought that was so interesting. Um, you have worked with actually a lot of female directors. I think I've probably worked with more female directors than anybody. It's kind maybe of Maybe ever. <laughs> I think maybe ever. Because there's definitely movies in there that people don't even know about that were like female directed. And Right. Well, I think about the... Obviously, Sofia Coppola. Yes. You were her muse for a period of time, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um that's when I feel like, for me, Virgin Suicides, I was like, oh, my God. Um, 
this is my favorite actress. I love you. <laughs> Thank you, Krista. I'm like, this is I my, this it. is my Jenna Rollins, right? I love we you. Know I mean, Jenna. She's, Jenna's my favorite. So. Jenna's my favorite. And then here's, here's the 2.0 Jenna. Thank you. I, that's the greatest compliment I could ever receive. And then you went from that, obviously you guys did Marie Antoinette together, but you've worked with Kate and Laura Malevi. Yes. Obviously for Darte, you're a muse for them both in their designs and on film, which I love. And then I was thinking of, what was the Bachelorette? I remember seeing that I mean, in Leslie, Sundance with yeah. Leslie. That was her first movie. Yeah. And then there's others and others. That were Little Women. Little Women. Gillian Anderson. Right. And then I saw Gabby Hoffman today. We did a movie with a female director when we were younger together. And there was a few more in there along the way. But yeah, I never had, I don't know. I guess I just wasn't raised like, it's interesting because I remember when I was younger, I was like, oh, I kind of see like girls are hired because the director kind of wants to like you're a, you know, fantasy for them in a weird mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like working with Sophia and having my basically like sexuality, my first role where I was seen as this beautiful, sexy young woman was done through a female gaze, which was very safe for me and very iconic in this beautiful, very feminine way. So I think having that and then going to do Spider-Man, I had such a more grounded, secure feeling in myself as a young woman. Like, you know, I never felt the pressure to go to the premiere and dress with my breasts out or anything. Like I, mm-hmm. I wore Rodarte for the first, you know, and they were like, what is she wearing? She looks too goth. You know what I mean? And meanwhile, I was just, I felt like myself. And I think that being in with being directed by Sophia at 16 gave me a security in myself as like, you know, she's like, you're so beautiful. You know, at 16, you don't think like, I'm so beautiful. All my teeth are, she's like, I love your teeth. I love this. I love that. So having that come from a woman instead of a man really set me up, I think, for not needing that from my directors ever. That's so interesting. Yeah. That like you know, that muse thing from a man. I never, like when I felt that, I was like, kind of like, ugh, I don't need that. Right. That's so interesting. Yeah. How was it working with Jane? Jane's awesome. She's just, I mean, she literally took a picture on her iPhone of a shot and I saw it and I was like, I'm like, no wonder you're Jane Campion. I was like, (laughs) you just took a picture on your iPhone that looks like a great piece of art. She's very honest. So am I. We had a very honest, supportive, you know, she's someone who will come up to you and hug you when you need a hug. And she's also someone who will tell you, your voice sounded really high during that take. And you're like, okay, Jane. I was like, I guess you want me to lower my voice. You know, she's very honest in that way. So I just felt like she also, I felt like needed me too, because she's like, oh, the girl's on set. She wanted her girl. You know what I mean? So I felt like because she's used to working with mostly females, when I was on set, like, I felt like I knew when she needed a hug. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And me and Ari, our, our, our DP, who's a female as well, is so brilliant. She just, Ari killed it. She's amazing. Yeah, the film is shot it's beautifully. So the beautiful. costumes, your costumes, that scene in the New Year's Eve or whatever, the oh, Christmas yeah, like scene our, in that giant house. Yeah. They're trying to bring some kind of civilized dressing to Mm -hmm. this like really rustic rough terrain I love that juxtaposition and and Kirstie and I the costume designer never wanted Rose to look like she was I didn't want her look ever like she wanted money in any way like 
we kept her pretty subdued. I mean, I basically wore pajamas and was like, mm-hmm. Rose's character is like hungover, paranoid, drunk. Right. So, you know, when you're hungover, you're usually in your pajamas. Right. <laughs> so yeah. we really like planned this out as, as you know, and her color palette was very rose-like actually. It was very mm-hmm. like, you know, pale and like she was disappearing into the landscape a little bit. Did you have a particular scene that was more intimidated to shoot or something that you were, I don't want to use the word dreading, but you had nerves around. You know what? Because all the interiors were shot after the exteriors and my exterior scenes were my scene with, with, um, Adam beach, which was very intense at the, towards the end of the film. Mm -hmm. And then me like screaming after my son, I just, just like, just little bit snippets enough, but also very emotionally important things where it was just harder for me to, I I would think, oh God, I have that scene tomorrow and I haven't worked in five days, which it does make you not feel in sync with everybody. Mm -hmm. Jesse was working a lot more, Benedict was, and you know, I have to come in and like deliver, you know what I mean? It kind of felt like that sometimes. Um, But that, but I'm not hard on myself on myself in that way. But I, I found myself having to use like more little tricks like, okay, I'm going to listen to this, you know, this soundtrack. I actually listened to the soundtrack of some Paul Thomas Anderson movie, I think. What soundtrack did I listen to? Now I can't forget because I'm really feeling this altitude. Altitude and baby brain. Yeah, um, big time. There's, there's two things. Yeah, <laughs> There's two things working and jet lag from Venice. It's all good. I got off the plane... My brother and I, they flew us from Venice here with, you know, Jane, everybody, and my brother and I took the bed that was actually just like a table. So we kind of just, it was, it's, it was fun, but it just, you know, it's all the, the I'm good, really, I'm lacking sleep for, for a long time. The, the, the beauty of, of filmmaking. I mean, <laughs> it is, uh, I'm thinking about your career when, it, when you're saying that and you, um, when we're going through just these scenes and like kind of how you, the discipline that it takes to be an actor and the focus that it takes, right? You it's know, a you lot have of to... breathing and just being present, as present as you can be, because right. that's what really makes you feel like you can soar when you're acting with someone else. I mean, that's when you forget everything and it's like, oh, we just, it, when you're playing around, you feel free and you feel like you could do anything is like when you get that high from acting, which doesn't really happen all the time. And it's very rare. Um, and it's hard to do scenes by yourself. And I did a lot of things by myself mm-hmm. and to, you know, to make sure that's really fills the space. And, but I love private moments with characters. They're always my yeah, favorite. So good. You always learn so much more, you know, mm-hmm. just in the way, like you close the doors or whatever it is, says so much about where she is rather than like having a line with, you know, right. Someone right. to me sometimes. You're in your 30s. Yeah. Could you ever imagine that you would be, because like you were modeling, acting, whatever, since when you were walking, learning yeah. how to walk, you were already in front of a camera, basically. Yeah. Did you ever think at one point that you would still be doing this at this point in your life? I did. I think I did. I think there there are people that are meant to do things. And I really believe that I was meant to do this. But I also think I had to go through different incarnations of what that meant to me, how I approached it, what I wanted from it, my boundaries with it. You know, I really have changed a lot of perspectives of this industry and my own career throughout the years. And now I'm like in the best place I probably could be in, you know, 
which I think happens with age. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's like you just you don't worry about the things that don't matter anymore. And, you know, the work is what matters. And that's that's the only experience you really have at the end of the day. And if people like your movie and, you know, I try and work with I'm oh, I'm very director driven. I'm not really role driven. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, yeah, working with someone like Jane has been something I I had craved for a long time. She wrote me an email when I was in my 20s about working together at one point. And it's funny because the piano came out the year before Interview with the Vampire. And I remember watching the Academy Awards with my acting coach at the time and my mother. And like, I was in Vancouver shooting Little Women. And I remember when Anna Paquin won the Academy Award, he was like, oh, sorry, dude. Like, you're not going to get anything next year. Like, goodbye. Because I was, you know, a kid in a movie. And like, so it was funny that the piano was always like, oh, wow, like, that like they didn't nominate me the following year because she right you know was a young girl like one of them just gonna like give it to kids right <laughs> you know, she got that slot yeah exactly she did that so we can't do it again so it was it's funny because the piano when I was younger I was, I was like oh yeah I'm well I do feel like we take you for granted I, I can say that because I do feel like we do I know anytime I know that you're in a movie regardless of whether the movie or the television show you've been in a couple brilliant shows one very recently uh thank you you're always good you're Thanks, always good Kristen. you're never not good thank you're you you're never not you never not deliver and i feel like we kind of we do we take you for granted because we know that you've been around you're gonna say oh yeah there she is and she's great yes yeah. of course she's great it's kirsten she's always great so is it that it's it I think for me, I think because I've been doing this for so long and I work so hard at my roles, but I don't take myself seriously in front of people because I think it's not cool to do that. So I'm Mm -hmm. not very, I'm very normal in that sense where I'm not trying to take myself seriously in the public as an actress. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm very confident in my work, but I don't relate that to, you know, how I interact with people I think that's what it is too. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes having a real air about you helps right. you in a way. Right. And I don't. Right. Yeah. But then you wouldn't be who you are. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> like yeah. there, there in lies the rub, right? Part of that. But what sometimes is, I'm always like, how do you do that? Yeah. How do you take yourself that seriously? What are, what's one of the hardest lessons that you had to learn? Huh. I don't know. Each movie is its own like weird I don't know, organism of people and, and egos and this and that. Mm -hmm. So I feel like each movie, yeah, it's just always very different. So Mm -hmm. you're always kind of figuring out, you know, who, who are your allies on set? Mm -hmm. Who are, who's going to be the person that, you know, you can, after a scene where you're really emotional, like who's the, you know, is it your makeup artist that you can just, you know, like let out the rest of your tears too and wipe your eyes or like, I kind of feel like each set you figure out, you know, who your allies are kind mm-hmm. of. So I think, I don't know. I think I don't really have like some great lesson I've learned. Mm-hmm. It's I just think, evolving through. Yeah. It's just like being, yeah. Just do you have a being true character? to yourself kind of, I guess. Do you have a favorite character that you've played? Honestly, I really like playing Peggy and Fargo it was so fun. Yeah. I like doing comedy, actually, Chris. I love mm-hmm. doing comedy. Mm-hmm. 
So if I could do a show where I was like, where it was a dark comedy, I'd be so much happier than a drama. I don't want to cry and like be mm-hmm. depressed on set. <laughs> I've been offered roles in television shows and I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to mm-hmm. be miserable on a television mm-hmm. show and like listening to sad music every day. And, yeah. You know, it's hard thinking about horrible things. It's not fun. So yeah. for me, I think, yeah, what, what is my favorite? I mean, my favorite performance of mine, like if I was going to judge mm-hmm. myself, I really liked Melancholia. I mean, I feel like that movie is so special to have a portrayal of depression, which you never, it's not really that cinematic and he mm-hmm. made it cinematic. And that's something that I think I love that can movie. really help people, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where you're that bad, where you like can't move to take, clean yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and Virgin Suicides, like if I wasn't in that movie, that would probably be a movie that I just loved as a teen you know it's different when you're in it but just the visual style of Sophia's movie speaks so much to you know the feminine like I and like what I want to see on film is what she Mm -hmm. makes you know and I feel like a lot of the things I do people appreciate a little bit after the fact like someone came up to me yesterday and was like we just watched Marie Antoinette we loved it I was like yeah well but like I said, it, it wasn't popular to be a female director making good movies. Now it is. Now it is. Yeah, right. it feels like that a little bit. I was like, yeah, welcome to the club I've been a part of for a while. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's yeah. true. Everyone in the moment is like, oh, I don't know, and then it and then it takes on like legendary status and cult yeah. classic status. I've been discussing fear on the podcast this season because they feel like we've all been inundated with fear, whether it's the fear of this virus, the fear of Climate change, you know, like we just turn on the news and it's, there's so much anxiety out there in the world. And it's obviously an existence that an actor lives with all the time, right? So, you know, fear of a role, getting in, you know, all those vulnerabilities play into performances, right? So I'm just curious, how is your relationship with fear these days? I guess bringing children into the world is what like the, the world that I'm bringing them into gives me the most fear, like... I, you know, Jesse and I try in our household, you know, I haven't drank out of a water bottle since being on this press tour, to be honest, and like trying to use rags instead of paper towel, like just do whatever we can environmentally to Mm -hmm. like, but it's, yeah, it's bringing children into the world makes you realize that, oh God, I hope that, you know, they're not, there's clean water to drink. And mm-hmm. I don't know what, my brother is very doomsday. So he always gives me all these facts and statistics on climate change and just how horrible our oceans are, everything just, but weirdly my one son migrates to vegetarianism already. I mean, I don't push anything on him, but, but um, yeah, we have to change. I feel like if every fast food restaurant was just fake meat, immediately mm-hmm. something would happen. We have to like have a global, like something drastic. You so, think we'd be in it now, right? Like a yeah, global pandemic, hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes. I mean, you think about how it is, it is I'm a always optimistic person. So I always, I, am too. I always lean with the half full and, and hope, but it does get the fear I think as a, as a parent is real. Yeah. I mean, when I, when my, my first kid, everything was, Every situation was like that film Final Destination, which I don't even know yeah. if I watched that movie, but I can imagine I would think, you know, this chair is going to break while I'm holding him and mm-hmm. impale him in his eye. Like the craziest, most ridiculous things. And now second kid, 
I don't have any of yeah. that. It's so much nicer to be a mom. Yeah. Taking him in the pool with me. I'd yeah. never go in the pool like at two months or three yeah. months old with I I was just so much more paranoid about people holding him and things like that. Um well hopefully I think this next generation is going to be the change that we need. That's mm-hmm. what I'm I'm hoping will happen. Sure feels that way. Yeah. Right. It's it's but, over it's over to them. Yeah, it is. And the whole fear thing about being an actor, I don't, I don't have, I don't have that fear. I think maybe that's what, one of the things you said, like maybe that's what my biggest thing to get over maybe, or I never had a fear that I wasn't going to work again, or, you know, when a job wasn't for me or I went to someone else, I, you know, I just was like, I, I do have that. Well, you know, it was meant to be for them kind of feel feeling, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. people will get the roles they're meant to play. And it's, you know, I don't have that, you know, elbowy, like I got to get in there. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's very real. Well, my last question and you're kind of answering it is, you know, what, what advice do you have for younger generation people trying, like, where should they put their energy trying to be in the creative industry? Whether it's like, obviously for you acting, but you know, music, art, any of it, it kind of applies because it's always a struggle. Yeah. I think I've always stuck to creatively my instincts of what I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Yes, I'm doing that. I Saying no is actually the biggest thing you can do for yourself because people really will try and put you in a box or veer you towards different directions or try and turn you into something. And the biggest thing creatively you can do for yourself is just say no and set those boundaries for yourself because you that's what I think makes people feel the most lost is when they're looking for every to everyone else for approval and and guidance and you really have to like zone into your on your into yourself and and creatively like make sure those decisions are the best for you I Mm -hmm. think well, congratulations. You're amazing in, in Thanks, this film. I'm so happy to see you. Uh, it's so great to be in Telluride, especially in this, this environment. And the film is like, you know, feels like it could be set here as well. And I know that. I didn't think. <laughs> It's so funny. We landed. I was like, oh, yeah, our film takes place here. Yeah, your film takes place. It's like, right, you're landing in, in all of that. And I'm looking at you now, and I'm thinking, like, you were, like, 21 years old on the cover of Vanity Fair. We, You were on our Hollywood issue Crazy. at least twice. Like, it's amazing the career that you have had and how you have kept it all together. And I'm just going to say that to you right now. I'm super proud of you for that. Thank and you, you have Krista. An amazing partner and kids. And you're winning. You're winning. I you're am. Life. I'm you're winning, winning at life right now. I really am. I li- listen, all, we all have to go through our shit to figure out the good stuff. And I did it and I learned my lessons and, you know, I figured it out. You did. So, you figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Krista, for having me. Thanks so much for joining me. The Power of the Dog is coming to theaters November 17th and will be streaming on Netflix December 1st. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Join me next time for more meaningful conversations here at Present Company.